Hello, I'm Tom Pritchard, and join me today on the Marriage Champions podcast is Ben Freudenberg. Ben is the founder of the Concordia Center for the Family, where he now devotes his time to family discipleship training. Ben is also a former professor in family life studies at Concordia University in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Ben. Well, my pleasure. It's great to see you again. Yes, it's good to be together again. Um, you've got a. Let's start with your your background. Uh, you've got an interesting upbringing. Uh, maybe share a little bit about that, your background, and then lead into uh, how did you develop this passion for seeing family friendly churches. But let's start with your background. I don't know how far you want me to go back, but I was born to a. a I was born on April 2nd, 1950, but my dad passed away on December 26th, 1949. And so I was uh, born into uh, a family without a father who had died. Uh, my mother became the breadwinner. So I was kind of a single kid, a, a, a child in a single parent family. Um, and she was a Lutheran school teacher. Uh, so my my life developed in that way, uh, a strong Christian mom, uh, dedicated to Christ. Uh, she her goal was to memorize the Psalms. Uh, she after she uh, was called to be the dean of women at one of our junior colleges and start bringing females onto the campus. So the second crazy part about my life is I grew up in an apartment in a girl's dormitory um, and uh, was shaped by the professors and the community of this wonderful uh, junior college, a Lutheran junior college called St. Paul's College in high school and in a wonderful Christian community called Concordia, Missouri, where they had this wonderful Lutheran grade school and a wonderful church and this partnership between the church and our family was real evident. Uh, it, it was really a powerful learning for me, especially the people of the community. Uh, there were men and women that took me under their wing, uh, professors like Mr. Baki or Mr. Bashan, uh, just a great community. So I couldn't get away with anything. Yeah, whether I was at home or at school or out in the community, there were all these people caring for me. And even though I didn't have a dad, I had many, many men in my life who were were uh, seeking to guide and direct my 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 growth. How, how do you think this shaped your passion or vision for family friendly churches? I, I would imagine it had some impact. Oh, yeah, it had tremendous impact. Um, Concordia. Uh, Missouri, that town was very family centered. Um, it, it was all about uh, supporting the families and helping each other. Um, it was, I think that was a, a key impact. Also, the um, the community that I grew up in on the campus of uh, St. Paul's Lutheran College and high school the faculty was kind of a family and I uh, experienced their love and care and concern uh, as I was growing up. Um, and so, yeah, I think that whole piece, and then I think also the, the idea that there are many young people that 
experienced the same life I have, you know, and that uh, they are they 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 struggle with all kinds of issues, and uh, having these people in their life, uh, their family, and these other caring people, really influenced me as I began doing ministry in the church. How do I create um, a ministry in the church that provides this support system for the children and teens in the community? So I, I did that. Uh, only I, I would I would think that because I didn't have a mom and a dad, <laughs> um, my vision was that uh, I didn't quite know what it meant to be a husband or a father, but I did know what it meant to be a good church worker. I grew up watching uh, that happen. And so I think uh, that experience of uh, having all these people in my life that supported me growing up as a young man, and then uh, going into the church where youth ministry, children's ministry, I, I served the church for 38 years as a a children, youth, and family minister, a director of Christian education. Um, I was trying to create that same support system for all these these kids, and and so then, <laughs> what happened though is that I I learned over time that the first responders in a child's life is not the church, the school, or the community. The first responders, like my mom, is your family. That 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 became pretty evident to me, um, and so, in after about twenty years of working in this paradigm where the church was the center, or the school, or the community was the center of faith and life formation, I began to realize through my own family that that's really not true. the The real focus of a healthy Christian upbringing is the home. And that home has to be really grounded in faith. It has to be willing to disciple those people in the home into the faith, into the next generation. And I just explained who my mom was. Mm -hmm. you know, my mom was that kind of person. So you didn't, uh, you were working in the traditional church model of youth worker, children's ministry. And there come a point where you just start saying something's not working or this needs to be changed or was there always kind of the sense that maybe. No, no, it really was an awakening. Um, and the first indication, I was at Concordia uh, Lutheran Church in Kirkwood, Missouri for a very long time. Um, and so I was able to see when these kids were baptized and uh, growing in their faith and then when they went to high school and college, and especially when they went to college, I began seeing that they didn't reconnect to the church. Something had happened and they'd get married at the church and have their first baby, but they wouldn't bring them to be baptized. Of course, we have that tradition in our church of infant baptism. And so I'm going, whoa, you know, I spent all this time investing in that child's life and then it didn't work. <laughs> it, it didn't, they didn't come back after they'd gone away. And then I thought, well, the research says that that's typically what happens, you know, they go away, but then when they get married and they have children, they come back and 
and that wasn't happening. So all of a sudden I began to, to feel, well, what am I doing wrong? You know, I've invested almost everything into these young people's lives for all these years. And, uh, and it's not sticking, <laughs> you know? And so that's uh, when the, the church asked me to go on a sabbatical to figure out why, what, what was going on um, in, in the lives of people. So I took three months and the three months turned out to be an amazing revelation and change of life for me. First, I realized my own failure as a husband and father and second, I began to realize what was going on is that we were focused on the wrong client. We really needed to be more focused on the, uh, the families and how they're shaping faith in their own home in partnership with the church. And so that's kind of how it happened. Uh, I came back from that and... Uh, kind of out of that research, a book was born called The Family Friendly Church, and which is an old book, but I think it has kind of a lasting theme uh, that needs to be updated and, and thought through by the church. No, I've read it, and I, I think it's got a lot of wisdom, and you share your heart, and I think that makes it even more attractive. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. Would you say that churches by how do they churches by and large view families and marriages? Are they important to the local church? Would you say that's a great question? Um, thanks for asking it. I um, I think in America in general, our value of marriage and the family is declining. Okay, and that is being translated into the church. Um, if you would ask any pastor, they think marriage is important. They think families are important. But I don't know if pastors have really thought about their role in helping families thrive. Okay. Uh, and it's not their fault. It, it just is that nobody has taught them the importance of marriage and the family in the development of the, the faith in the in the third and fourth generation of those families. And so they're focused on other things uh, like stewardship. They're focused on uh, growth, uh, helping the church stay faithful to scripture. Those are all great things, visiting the sick. And I don't think they've ever seen their job as uh, helping families thrive. Uh, and, and I think, what I've discovered is that they're more than happy to let others do the marriages in the church, <laughs> especially marriage preparation. I mean, that's a lot of work. And so eventually at Concordia Kirkwood, uh, it wasn't that our pastors there didn't want to do marriage preparation. They just couldn't handle it. We were marrying uh, between 40 and 50 couples a year, uh, almost one a week. And it just took up so much of their time. And so when I got uh, very interested in family ministry, they asked me to lead the marriage preparation area of the church. And then I created it in a way that the pastor did some of the work, especially the, the spiritual uh, formation and the wedding, but I did the rest of it. And uh, it, was, it was a great revelation to me. I never had more fun than helping couples 
figure out how to be married. And it really taught me a lot because I had a lot to learn about my own marriage. So God was very, uh, <laughs> I would say it was a, a great experience for me in the formation of my own marriage. Hmm. Well, why, um, why don't you think the churches are more, I mean, what historically, uh, you know, we lived in a Christian culture society where the values tended to be supportive and now they're not there, but where did, why did we get to the place or how did we get to the place where marriage and family were not more central understanding their role as parents? You know, we, I think people have tended to farm out to the, the Sunday school and the church, uh, their spiritual formation. Is that always been the case or is that more of a recent development, do you think? No, no that's a recent development. I, I, I think our culture um, has moved. It's not just the church. It's our American culture has moved away from seeing the value of the family in, and in helping our nation be strong. What we've learned is you have a strong family you have a strong church. If you have a strong family, you have a strong community. You have a strong nation. You have a strong uh, impact in the world. But as the families begin to disintegrate, uh, it also helps. It doesn't help our nation, our country, our churches, our schools. Um, and, and so, you know, I hate. There are four or five themes that you can kind of think about. When, when you think about why this is happening, um, we live in a divorce culture. Uh, uh, it's not as bad as many statistics show. Um, and we could get into that, but it's not as bad as you think. First marriages aren't falling apart as rapidly as we think. Um, we, we also had this movement of free love, <laughs> you know, that this whole idea of, um, you know, we can take the intimacy of marriage and expand it to any other person we want, and that's okay. And that really didn't help marriage and the family um, at all. Uh, the, the other issue is um, there's a movement in our in our world that kind of says that men aren't important. <laughs> and um, that didn't help marriage and the family uh, at all. Okay. And, and as some of our leaders look back, they also say that some of the things that they've passed in law and regulations didn't help us get to where we are. You know, it, it, it helped help us where we need to be. Okay. So when you start to put all that together, um, in the American culture, which we live in the American culture, right? Uh, the church kind of adopted some of these thoughts. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, um, the youth minister became more important, the children's minister, the men's minister, the women's minister. Uh, we fragmented our programming. So on Sunday morning, Families don't hardly even see each other. They come to church and they dis disperse into their different groups and they meet again in the car on the way home. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll, this, I'll never forget this. I was at a leadership conference where I was proposing with other family people that 
children in worship is key to growing uh, a faith in the child. It's not that they have to understand anything, but they're sitting next to very important people who they watch worship and they hear them pray and sing. Uh, and I really, and they thought I was just like from outer space. They just could not believe it, that, that, but when I think about my life uh, and sitting next to my mom in worship, Every Sunday, whether I liked it or not, every during Lent and Advent, every serve, we never missed worship. Okay. But to sit next to my mother and watch her really live her faith out in front of me. Okay. And to hear her speak the, the Lord's Prayer and hear her uh, sing the, the hymnity of the church and to uh, watch her participate in the Lord's Supper and to see how that was so important to her made it important to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and so this, this connection, this disconnection where we're taking children out of worship, I don't think it's helping <laughs> as them as adults value worship. And, and as you see in America today, many of our young families do not see church as a value in their life mm -hmm. uh, yeah well you you had a kind of touching on what you've just said but you had an interesting quote or i pulled one from your book it said that quote the church has a significant role in the life and faith of the family that impact can be good or bad bad or good depending on the church's structure and programming how would you say a church's role can be bad in the life of the family. I can just reflect on my own life in the church. So um, we had at, we had a wonderful children's ministry. We had a wonderful children's music minister, uh, but we didn't realize we had uh, three or four services every weekend, okay? And she would put different aged choirs, and we all supported this, into these different services so that children would be a part of the worship, okay? So, but if you were the family and you had a junior higher and you had a, a elementary child and maybe a child in preschool and they were all designated to a different worship to sing in, that poor mom and dad had to stay for every, all day at church uh, in order to support their kids in, in worship. And we, we began to see that that wasn't helpful, okay? <laughs> that we needed to really think of how do we shape our program to support those families in their life, not just support our ministry, okay? Here, here was the number one crime I committed. We had a traditional canoe trip for our high school kids, and it often fell on Father's Day. It was the Father's Day. And so me being not really well connected to that role of father, you know, be, having not had a father, I would, I was caught saying that's true. Well, you will be home by noon on Sunday, maybe two o'clock. You have plenty of time to celebrate Father's Day when you get home. During my, my awakening, to this 
idea that the way you program and structure your ministry at the church impacts the way families function. Once I figured that out, we never did that again. And so your program and structure either helps families grow and stay together in their spiritual formation, or it separates them. And uh, so that's where that statement comes out of. The other thing I found as we began doing, I, I went into the uh, academic world in the university and I began doing more and more seminars uh, and workshops uh, for actually the Michigan district asked me to help train the churches in our district in this area of family ministry. Um, I began really understanding uh, that inside the structure of a church, there is no place for family. <laughs> so I would go and train all these people in these ideas of family ministry, family discipleship. They'd go back to the church and they didn't have any place to put it. You know, they had children's ministry, youth and education, stewardship, all these evangelism, worship. But here's this thing called family discipleship, and there was no place in the structure to put it. So I began challenging the pastor before we do anything. How do we look at our organizational structure and where does family ministry fit? And does it fit with each of the boards or is it its own entity? Well, then we discovered that every church has its own structure and system, and that's up to them. I wasn't going to dictate it. I just needed to know how they were going to manage it. So program and structure had to be shifted if family discipleship was going to be really integrated into the system of the congregation. And, and so that's what I mean by what I learned, program has to change, doesn't have to change. This is one thing people get confused about. I have never said that you should stop doing children and youth ministry. That, that is not the message. The message is how do we do children and youth ministry that's family friendly, mm -hmm. okay? And there are things that the church does well that they should keep doing. And that's a good education system, a support system for the children, especially teenagers. You know, we need to have those systems, but it doesn't put the parents on the sideline. It has to be designed. The program and structure need to be designed in a way that it puts the family in the primary seat of faith and life formation. Mm -hmm. so. Well, let, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the role of marriage ministry uh, uh, should play in a friendly, a family friendly church. Uh, you, you you mentioned in your book, uh, you say the best gift you can give your children is to love your spouse. Why is that so? Clinton Penny Braggs from Inverse Ministry taught me this right away. They said marriage ministry begins with first the, the man's faith in Christ and the woman's faith in Christ, and then a couple's faith. Yeah, I never thought of that before. Yeah, I had my faith and Jennifer had her faith, but what does it mean to have a couple's faith? Hmm. And what it means to have a couple's faith is that you pray together, you think together, 
you worship together, you, you have your own faith, but as a couple, you also have a, a, a unique oneness with Christ, okay? So if you're going to do family discipleship at home, your marriage has to reflect Christ and his love. <laughs> and if it doesn't, uh, your, your model won't display what you're trying to live out. So really, family discipleship starts with a couple who are married in Christ, who understand their role in relationship in, in their life with each other, and also their responsibility to shape the people in their home in that faith by their, I know we call it, we used to call it uh, teaching the faith at home. We call it now influencing and teaching the faith at home because we find that faith is as much caught as it is taught, okay? So this image of God's gift of marriage, okay? This image of uh, how we love each other because Christ loved us, you know? He's the bridegroom, we're the church's bride. How do we reflect that in our home? And then how do we live that out in front of our kids every day so they catch it? <laughs> and it's also about how do we help our marriage uh, have the priorities in the right place, okay? So another great book is Reverend Dr. Todd Bierman's book, Handing Out Life. And this taught me, the biblical priorities that Christ is first, then comes your spouse, right? Then comes your children and your, your family, and then your church and your ministry to the world. If we really want to hand out life, he says, is that we have to have our priorities straight. And it starts with the pastor. <laughs> it's the pastor demonstrating his love for his wife. That's marriage and his family, family ministry, okay, and the church. <laughs> but it's not that you spend all your time with your, your spouse. It's that you your spouse and family always know they have the highest priority in your life, mm -hmm. okay? That if push comes to shove, they're always going to win, <laughs> okay? Mm -hmm. You might spend 40, 50 hours a week at church and sometimes even more depending on the things that happen in people's lives. But your, your wife and your children know that if they need you, you'll be there for them uh, as, their, as their first and second priority in your life. And so marriage has a huge impact on the faith of the next generation. And a healthy marriage is so key. Well, it, it strikes me that when emphasizing uh, family-friendly church, uh, get you know, having a focus there, it assumes the parents have a godly marriage and a level of spiritual maturity uh, to be, you know, be role models for their children. Um, so, and I'm thinking, you know, increasingly, marriages are really struggling. Um, because, you know, people come from broken homes. They don't have, they don't have a model, a role model. They don't know what it means to, even today, you know, the questions of what it means to be a man or a woman are, are being debated. 
So it strikes me that it, would you say that that is foundational is getting marriages working right to then have a family friendly? Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a lot of things that um, are foundational. Uh, one is being a disciple of Christ as an individual, <laughs> you know, it's really hard to disciple a, your, the next generation if you yourself isn't aren't a follower of Christ. So I think the second thing is the marriage. But then I think the third thing, really faith formation comes out of parenting. It, it's, it really isn't a separate entity. Uh, parenting is, you know, we're trying to develop our child intellectually, socially, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So the whole parenting role uh, is is really where faith formation comes out of in our life as family, okay? Um, and so, yeah, uh, oh, being a disciple of Christ, nurturing our own faith, our couple's faith, having a strong marriage and learning how to parent our children in a positive way uh, leads to good faith formation and leads to uh, a next generation that's equipped to do it again. <laughs> So, you know, so as that breaks down, uh, the church needs to realize that our culture, you know, isn't supporting that anymore. And so it's really uh, against the culture of the, ch it's what we're talking about here is, um, you know, putting the family at the center of first responders in all that we do. Okay, they're the first responders. Um, our job is to support them and get around them and love on them. And uh, we have not, we're, we're not doing that right now, you know. And, and so you could, we could go on and on about this. But yeah, I think that there are foundational things. This isn't just about teaching faith to, to parents, teaching faith to kids, it's having healthy family relationships that uh, have a fertile ground where faith is lived out just naturally and where kids are catching that and growing in that, being influenced by that and want that for their marriage and family in, in, their, in their own lives. So yes, there are basic foundations that need to be set. Um. Well, let me, let me ask you, uh, what would a church do differently, kind of at a nuts and bolts level, if it was truly a family, marriage-friendly church? Uh, what, are, what are some of the practical things they would be doing that are different than maybe what a traditional church has done, would you say? Um, I, I think it would have a ministry. It would... What they would do differently is they'd first look at their organizational structure and see how their organizational structure either is supportive of this thing called family or is doesn't even think about it. You know, uh, this the second thing would be how is their ministry to marriages looked upon? You know, like we've talked about before, is there a good practical system to prepare marriages to be uh, godly marriages, okay? 
Um, and this is a ministry. This, this isn't a, a, a marrying chapel concept. This is where a ministry happens where you might even see transformation in people's lives for Christ because of the intensity that you require a couple to think about and to grow into. Uh, so it's a ministry and the it, there's funding for it, okay? That, you know, you can, I can always go into a congregation and look at what's important to them by their budget, right? And so what I would see practically is that there is money uh, set aside for this ministry and it is significant <laughs> uh, because this is one of the primary foundational pieces. Uh, let me just tell you about a word called sustainability. If we want to see sustainability in our congregations in the future, wouldn't it make sense that we would be building Christian marriages that are impacting the next generation? Okay. So, you know, we've kind of gone to this idea of church growth outside the family. I think it's a two-pronged approach. I think you have inside the family church growth and those that you're reaching outside the church family. Mm -hmm. And if, if you look at certain practical, this you ask for practical things. If you look at the Mormon church, they really are growing because they get the power of the family. <laughs> and I've done a lot of work overseas in Muslim countries, and they too understand the power of this growth. Uh, Rob Reno, you know, he's a, a great visionary family ministry. He really focuses on this intergenerational evangelism where each family is growing their children to be exponentially growing uh, the kingdom of God on earth, okay? And it's like the family is the engine of exponential growth, okay? So practically speaking, how do you get that engine to, to really chug along at a high rate of speed? <laughs> um, and so practically, how do we set up a system uh, that helps that family stay connected to Christ, grow in Christ, and share Christ to the next generation? So uh, fam marriage ministry has to be seen as a ministry. That's just practical and um, supportive caring. Second would be good parent education. Uh, 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 I love Transky's material from the National Center of uh, Biblical Parenting. It's called Parenting is Heart Work. It's shaping the heart of the child, okay? Deliberately having practical skills, giving them to parents that shapes the heart of the child instead of behavior modification. I think that's a very practical piece, okay? Mm -hmm. Another very practical piece is... Um, helping parents have a system to do devotions at home with their families and not boring. Uh, you know, you know, these kids are, they're entertained all the time. So, and family time 
uh, is another organization that helps the family, helps the church, help families do one, one devotion a week. That's 20 minutes that teaches a biblical truth. And you would think, how much good is that? You know, it's only once a week. Well, the idea is that you teach a biblical principle and then for the whole week, you reinforce it, <laughs> you know, and it's not, a, it, it's the influence of that teaching. It's living it out together in the family. So a, another very practical piece is what they call a milestone ministry. Uh, Faith Legacy does that. Uh, Reverend Roger Timer at King of Kings Lutheran Church in uh, Omaha, Nebraska has developed this system where it teaches parents from infants all the way through uh, college what their role is and gives them practical ways at home and support by the church to help a family grow through their developmental life stages, you know, and, and so this is real practical stuff. In fact, I believe that if a church would take and implement family time and faith legacy training, it would change the whole system of how we do education in the church. It would shift the paradigm because once parents get a taste of this, they want more. That's my experience. You know, if we take them off the sidelines and put them into the coaching, they love the coaching. They do, and and that's what they're wired to to do. And so, but how do we practically give them the skills and the resources to be the parents, the couple uh, that that they can be? And it's not that the church reduces their role to children and youth; they're increasing their role. Now we have youth ministers in every home, <laughs> you know, professional, we've trained them. <laughs> so that's, that, those are a lot of practical things. And there's another practical side to this, this whole idea of non-nuclear families. Many of our homes in our churches are my, like my home. I, I grew up in a non-nuclear family. My father died. I was, had a single mom that raised all five of us. It, it is different in a non-nuclear home. The dynamics are different. And most people don't understand that. And so they try to be, their normal is a nuclear family. They're trying to make their non-nuclear family look like the nuclear family, okay? It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's a whole new set of, uh, of knowledge, skills, and attitudes especially in the divorced home where you have two families trying to raise that child uh, uh, either in, com in competing ways or in uh, unified ways. It doesn't make any difference. It's altogether different. And so that's another practical thing. How do we give our, our non-nuclear families the knowledge, skills, and attitudes that they need <laughs> so that they can thrive and help faith in that those children also uh, last a lifetime, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I you you would, you said something that would remind me of something else you wrote in your book. He says parents are the primary youth ministers in the church, and the family or home is a God ordained institution for faith building in children and youth, 
and for the passing on of the faith from one generation to the next. So that's a whole different paradigm perspective that the, the parents are fundamentally the youth workers. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you agree? I mean, yeah. I mean, th this is the biblical, this isn't my idea. This isn't a new program. This is going back to the biblical understanding of the role of mom and dad in the lives, the spiritual lives of their children. Mm -hmm. And I think in America, we've, we've just kind of lost that idea. Uh, we've, we've kind of moved in with the culture uh, where the school is now responsible for raising kids. And uh, we have all these activities that we take our kids to, to make them healthy and all that. And really those are all great stuff. I, I, you know, that's all wonderful, but we've forgotten that really the, the strength of the next generation lies in the family that they come from. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah, I, I'm thinking I could see a church saying we want to involve parents in their, in the youth. So they may put the, that in the youth workers job description. Parents are gonna be involved and they may invite parents to a few special youth events or they may recruit some parents to be on the youth leadership team. But does that really constitute a family-friendly church um, or a family-centered ministry in a church? Or is it just kind of, okay, we're just going to add you in, but it's not really changing the paradigm? Yeah, but uh, okay, so you're right. That wouldn't be the end. But if you've never done that before, that's a good first step. <laughs> okay. So, but... But the reality is what you want to do is understand your ministry is a trainer of parents and a, so that the church becomes a training institution where parents come to learn how to be the kind of parents that God wants them to be. And at the same time, one of the things that the church can offer the family is uh, a, a program at church that helps the kids get the knowledge, skills, and attitudes. I mean, it's really hard. I could not teach my kids chemistry. I needed a chemistry teacher because, you know, and same thing with theology. Not every parent is biblically or theologically trained as a provider of that information for his children. So the, so the church needs to provide those things, but not apart from the family. So what we try to do is help fam, help churches tweak some of the things that uh, that they do toward family. That's maybe another practical approach to this whole concept. Is um, what we what I saw at the churches I was at is we gave every kid a Bible. Every child got a Bible, right? And the Bible was presented to them from the church. In fact, the church's name was in it. And it was like a gift to the child. And somebody from the church could have been a teacher, could have been Sunday school teacher, pastor, whoever. But they had a ceremony where they gave that book to the, to the child. We tweaked that. And what we did is we put the parent as the gift giver. Mm. Okay. And so we gave the Bibles, but we had a, we had a little seminar for parents on how to read the Bible to your children, okay? And, and we did that in Sunday morning. And uh, during Bible class, we had the parents come with their, and this was a, a preschool child. And we had an event where 
that we had a read to me Bible where the it was designed for parents to read the Bible to their kids. And we had a little training session for the parents. And then the kids were with them. And then right after that training session, where after they had decided, yes, we're going to read this Bible to our kids, they set the date, you know, once a week or whatever. They put this all in the front of the book. They signed the book and all that stuff. We had a Bible parade in church. We took the parents and the children and the children had the Bible and they carried it over their head. And all these parents and these kids go into church and they come to me. I'm standing up in the front of the church um, as an assistant at that particular service. And uh, I say, OK, kids, you got to give the Bibles back to your parents. OK, and I'd explain why that was. And then we talked a little about what happened up in the service up in the in the training session and then there was a point where i said okay I'm, i would like you to put this bible into the hands of your children okay and then when they did that i had them make a covenant and we had this little covenant uh where they promised to read that bible to their kids okay in front of the congregation now what i didn't know is that out in the congregation tears were forming in the eyes of people, where they could see this picture of the role of parents in the development of their faith, okay? And it became um, a treasured part of our, uh, of our church's uh, yearly ministry when the children got their first Read to Me Bible. Well, then we gave them a second Bible when they could read. And in third grade, second and third grade, we gave them a a, a bible they could read and then in when they were teenagers we had an event where the parents and the kids got them their adult bible and they we had the so again the parents are always involved uh helping that child grow in their skill of reading scripture uh, again the tweak a practical way uh that something we're already doing but it just puts the parent back in the primary position of faith and life formation. So it, it strikes me then one is tweaking current practices, but then also what are you doing to intentionally work, let's say helping marriages get stronger. Um, also intentionally teaching parents how to parent and how to share the faith. So it's kind of a both and then. Yeah, it is. It's 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 always this. I call it the partnership. Understanding what is the role of the parent, what is the role of the church as we walk through life and faith together. Okay, and we articulate that. I mean, here's here's what the church is going to do. Here's what we expect the home to do, the families to do. Okay, so so yes, I think um, if you would, we have this thing called the coaching model that came out of our, our academic structure. Um, we used to do groups of churches in the Family Friendly Partners Network, where I take family, uh, I would take a group of churches in a local area, we would have a three-year seminar, okay? And about every three months, we'd go through the knowledge, skills, and attitude for another piece of this, a uh, system of integrating and systemic change in the congregation toward family-friendly church. Everything we've talked about, 
okay? This would all be a train. Um, what we just what we found is that every congregation is is has its own size, its own structure, its own culture, and some congregations could go fast, and some congregations wanted to go slower. And the ones in the middle in this group of churches were the ones that benefited. And so we went to a coaching model where a coach goes with each congregation, and they go at their own rate and basically go through the same material, only the coach works with the pastor and the pastor helps the congregation through his family ministry team develop these programs, okay? Okay, so systematically, family-friendly church isn't just about teaching faith at home. It's about helping the family in its marriage, parenting skills, life in the later later years, human sexuality, helping the parent and the church get their arms around this thing and provide training and support for families in a systematic and uh, uh, powerful way. So what we've come to this, we have this chart. <laughs> this is the end, okay? We, it, it's called scope and sequence. So and it's a grid. And what we found that the best way to do this in the church is to find a season for each of these main topics. And so fall is a great time to really think about parenting and faith formation. That's what the church is all about. Winter is a great time for marriage. Okay. So, so you got faith formation and parenting in the fall. And you begin to develop a programs that are launched every fall for this particular area. Marriage is the is the winter, you know, February, and you get your um, pre-marriage is every month, but if, depending on many marriages. But marriage enrichment happens during the the winter months, and then. During the spring, you have a variety of human sexuality, and you put this on a four-year grid, okay? And you have the scope and sequence in that four-year grid. And then in year five, you start over again. So it's kind of like a curriculum. You know, it's a, it's a repeatable program. And the reason is in family life, you have family life cycle and the uh, developmental stage cycle. And there's always a new family coming into that new system, okay? That new developmental stage. So if you repeat this every four years, it 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 is repeatable. And you can then, add, this is another practical hint, you get people that are expert in those particular areas and they can teach that in that cycle and uh the church then can have this almost um way of helping families grow through from cradle to grave right uh cradle to grave so that's kind of a short version of a very long process <laughs> but but eventually that's where we want churches to be where they have a parent ministry, a faith formation ministry, uh, a marriage ministry, 
a marriage, a ministry to human sexual, helping parents provide biblical human sexuality, uh, ministry Ooh. to non-nuclear families. This becomes the family-friendly mom. <laughs> well, uh, how about a small church? Uh, a couple questions about a small church, maybe 100, 150 people. Let's say they don't have the staffing that to hire somebody to head up some of this. How can they integrate this? And also talk about a little bit about the role of the pastor. What if the pastor isn't really keen on this? Can Is there hope that a church will move ahead? Well, we, we found that there are certain things that the laity can do, you know, and that, but it won't be sustainable because they don't have, they just can't sustain it because the pastor is the, really the operations manager of the church. So whatever he feels is important uh, will get done. So you can't do what you don't know. We kind of talked about that. And you won't do, even if you know it, if you don't believe it to be of value, you still won't do it. So you might know something and say, ah, it's not important. Okay. So in the, when you think about the question of the pastor, the pastor really needs to uh, believe that this is important and understand its biblical root. So the, the way to do that is the the pastor needs to have more um, knowledge, skills, and attitudes in this whole area of family discipleship, family ministry. And it it really starts at the seminary level. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I really believe there's hope there. I think that pastors, once they, under, in my experience, when pastors catch this and they really be begin to study scripture and see that this isn't just another good fad that they're trying to do, but it is a basic biblical principle. I think pastors catch it and they want to do it. His role isn't to do it. It's to equip his congregational members to do it. That's his role. Okay. If he tries to do all of this, he'll crash and burn like I did, you know, um, so his role is to be the champion, to be the enabler, to be the leader, uh, to speak about it, and to equip people for that ministry in his church. So, so how, then, can a small, how can a small church do this? Yeah. That, and it's the way you, it's the, so instead of doing in a large church, let's do parent merit, parent education, Okay. Instead of doing a, a class for each developmental stage, you might do a class for general parenting, you know, and you do that once or twice in a four-year system so that it kind of hits those with small children, with uh, elementary children, junior high, senior high, parenting in general, okay? Um, and that way the church can still provide ministry, but it, it's within the scope of their capacity. Same way in marriage, you might not offer as many opportunities, but maybe every year you have a good strong marriage event that's more general rather than uh, you know specific for specific stages of married life. Mm -hmm. Okay, good.
Well, let, let's talk a little bit about some practical um, practices that you would recommend parents take uh, to to have, let's say, better marriages. If you, if you were to list the top three things that you would say that these are really foundational uh, for marriages to be healthy and thriving, what would, what would things might you point to? Well, I think pre-marriage education is just so important. So if I were to give a couple advice, I would say get go to a, a place and like whether it's prepare and enrich or whatever else that's there, but a, a, a well-designed pre-marriage education. And I call it pre-marriage education rather than pre-marriage counseling because we're not, counseling is kind of like you got something wrong and you need to fix it. <laughs> uh, this is just about the knowledge, skills, and what does it take to be a good married couple together? And if you use the right material, it can really give you an insight into each other's lives and uh, head off some really struggles. I've always said that uh, I can guarantee you one thing in marriage, disharmony, okay? But the because that's the, the sin that we live in. It's this, we, that's the way it is. But the joy of marriage is learning how to bring that disharmony to harmony, but you never, you never reach it. You know, you do, you work at that for your whole married life. I've been married now 50, almost 51 years. We're still learning what it is to be married. <laughs> so um, that's the first piece of advice. I'd say the second piece of advice is set up a routine in your married life uh, where you're praying together regularly. Uh, and Jennifer and I do the 10, 10, 5. Every morning we uh, have a, a, a 10 minute hug <laughs> with many times a good strong kiss. And then my wife prays over me and I pray over her. 10, not 10 minutes, 10 seconds, a 10 second hug, a 10 second prayer and a five second blessing. And we started this a little later in our marriage after I understood what that was about. But what would you, what would happen is if every day at breakfast, a husband and wife would just do that in front of their kids mm. and, and they're, 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 they're touching each other in a, in an appropriate way, they're praying for each other in an appropriate way and giving each other a blessing. Okay, so that I think that's important. The second thing they should do is spend, we, we called it family matters, 35 to 50 minutes a week where you're sitting together without children and you're focusing on each other and your relationship and your family schedules and family issues. Uh, that, uh, I be, I'm going to be real honest. Um, I put it on my calendar. It was a, I, when people said, can I meet with you? It was every Thursday. Okay. Can we meet with you? And I said, oh no, I've got a meeting. It's called family matters, <laughs> but it was really a meeting with my wife, but I didn't tell them. I, you know, I was still in that old mindset that, oh, you know, anyway, um, and then the third thing is 
uh, in your marriages is have a time to do some fun together, uh, whether it's a date night, whether it's a, a quarterly uh, getaway where grandma and grandpa get the kids and you get to either be home alone or get to go out. Uh, but really focus on each other. Don't give that up. Uh, make it really an important thing. Second thing is that don't think that because you were in a good family, you know all you need to know about parenting. <laughs> you, you have to, there are knowledge, skills, and attitudes that one needs to know and learn and apply, okay? So in my classes with my students, they always said, Professor Freudenberg, your classes are great. They give us a two for one. I said, what do you mean a two for one? Well, I'm building my career, but I'm also building knowledge, skills, and attitudes for my future family, okay? And so you should never stop learning what it means to be a husband, wife, couple, parent, married, human sexuality teacher, you know, you name it, you know, just keep learning, keep growing. Um, and then I think the third thing is that your kids are the most precious thing in the world. They're God's gift. And what does God want from marriage according to Malachi? Godly offspring. Invest in your children's faith development. Invest. You know, how much money do we invest in hockey, baseball, basketball, choir, piano lessons. Don't be afraid to invest in your children's development and faith and in their love for Jesus. In the end, that's all that matters anyway. <laughs> well, what, what things would you recommend to parents to being better parents? Um, are there a few things that they should do with their children that are going to have the biggest impact, would you say? Well, Okay, so first grow in your knowledge, skills, and attitudes so that you have what it takes to be uh, a good parent. But then what I learned is that you can't have, you must have some quality time with your kids. And it quality time comes out of quantity. You, 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 <laughs> you know, I'm going to have a five-minute uh, prayer time every night with my kids Oh, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not going to build the relationship that you want to establish. So spend quality time that comes out of quantity time. Mm -hmm. that, that's really key. Um, I think another thing, parents need to think of their home kind of as a, a, a mini business. What, what, what are my goals and objectives for my children? And Jennifer and I wrote that down. Uh, we, we said, these are the goals we hope to achieve. And it's amazing as we look back at that sheet, how we became intentional about helping them uh, integrate those principles, those goals into their lives. Um, so that, that's another you, you, if you don't have a plan, you know, <laughs> you, you know what that saying is, you know, so um, do some planning. What is it you hope to achieve with your kids? And let's develop some programs that reflect that. I don't mean programs. Let's, let's, let's design some ways of achieving those. Let's be deliberate. Mm -hmm. 
you, we brought up, you mentioned in your own experience, but single parents, what advice do you give them to, I mean, they've got the, you know, incredible responsibility they're bearing on their own shoulders, but what advice would you give them to, in the raising of their children? Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, you don't have to go it alone. Whether whether it was by divorce or death, uh, it's a, like you said, a tremendous responsibility. But as a single mom, you know, you're the breadwinner. You're making decisions. You don't have anybody to, um, you know, bounce your ideas off of. Um, getting up in the morning and getting kids ready for school and yourself ready for work all at the same time. That's crazy. And then realizing that you might have to put them in daycare because your job doesn't get over by the time the school does. And, uh, you know, after school care, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, and, or when people offer help, don't feel like you don't have the right to say, uh, yes, I, I could really use that help. Somebody pick up the kid every night after after school and bring them home uh, and stick with them for an hour um, until I get there. Wow, I mean, that would be great. Um, yeah, so what advice would I have? That, the other thing is that you have to adopt a new normal. When you're, uh, when you're a couple and all of a sudden you lose your spouse, it changes everything, okay? And don't try to be like a married, don't try to assume that you can maintain the old way of doing things. You, it's a new normal and embrace the new normal uh, and, and let it become a, a, a good normal for you mm. instead of like a negative normal. Uh, it, it really isn't, uh, it doesn't have to be negative. It can be a real positive thing. Um, <laughs> probably an another thing is um, really be thoughtful about starting new relationships uh, with other adult people, okay? One of the things my mom was very deliberate about with me was putting men in my life that could have a positive impact. <laughs> and she, I found out later, she would recruit men <laughs> that she really was deliberately um, pursuing that would not for her relationship, but for a relationship with me. And that, that's a, that was very helpful. As we began this this conversation, I told you about all these people in my life. Well, it wasn't by chance. <laughs> so, well, that's powerful. Uh, well, let's just talk briefly as we start to come to a close here. Uh, resources that you recommend for churches on marriage or family, parenting. Uh, what are some of the ones? I mean, there's a a million of them. It seems like there's a million of them out there, but are some that you've found or you've had experience with that you would say would be? Yeah, I, I, I've mentioned. I we've uh, in the academic world, we we vet best practices. Okay, and I would really highly recommend um, 
for a theological understanding. Uh, Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Todd Bierman's book on handing out life. It's very simple. I mean, but it's really talking about marriage relationships and he gives it very simply, easy to use. And the, the end of it is a Bible study. So you can actually take a small group through this book. The pastor can, and then others can too. And it's just a great foundational piece. Um, it doesn't give you how to be a married parent or a parent, married or parent. It just gives you this concept that you can start to embrace. I think um, Rob Reno's material on visionary parenting and all of his books are so biblically based. If you want the best theological, biblical understanding uh, of this, I would go to Rob Reno's Visionary uh, Families and start resourcing those materials, okay? Um, when, it, when it comes to parenting, I think the National Center for Biblical Parenting, Transkey, uh, his material, you can even through his system, become a parenting coach. I think every congregation ought to have two or three parenting coaches that have gone through that people can go and and uh, really get advice from, you know, get a coach. Uh, but it, his material on, uh, he really has three things that he does, a biblical foundation for shaping the heart, how to manage the, con we've given this, God's given us this gift called the conscience. Okay, and how do you use that as parents to help people be the moral guideline for their life, the moral compass? And then the th third piece of his work is on the fourth commandment, be honoring your mom and dad. And so he takes these cons biblical concepts and puts them into practical ways on how to help parents nurture the faith of their children through their heart and relationship with Christ. So uh, in marriage, Right there's a, a, a again a, a premarriage relation premarriage work. I think Prepare and Enrich has a lot of wonderful uh, tools for the pastor to help marriages start off on the right foot. But I'd also like to share that Family Life has Preparing for Marriage, which is a very uh, I just taught it to. Uh, 80 Ethiopian pastors in a week-long event. We Concordia Center for the Family is international as well as national. And we're working with, and this, this material has really, uh, the family life material called Preparing for Marriage is just a really great biblical and practical, and it is best practice because it follows family science. Now, I know people get in a little, uh, when you use the word science, but science is just based on research. And so they've researched what makes the pre-marriage education valuable to couples. That, that's really what it is. And they follow that principle, okay? And so even though it is very biblical, it also is highly effective because it follows what research has said is important in having uh, a pre-marriage education, okay? Um, there are many, many uh, marriage programs. There is no, <laughs> but 
again, family life has some, they, they really do focus on marriage uh, enrichment. And there are many programs and they don't always have to be a couple, um, but they do have couple seminars and they do have uh, curriculum material for small groups. So family life is a, a great place to get uh, get great marriage enrichment and uh, and tools. Um, also, family life has great uh, resources for the non nuclear family. Uh, and uh, Ron Deal is really an expert in the field, and anything that Ron Deal uh, has is of value. Uh, and there's an, an, another couple that were really pioneers, the Gordons and Ron and uh, Ron Deal and the Gordons were good friends and they've passed a lot of their information on to him. Uh, we used to have the Gordons in our, our seminars. They would come in and they changed the life of the church uh, because they really began to help the church see that uh, reforming families are important families to reach out and care for. Um, so that's another a great research, resource uh, for uh, the, the marriage and the non-nuclear family. Um, we could go on and on and on. I mean, there's yeah. just a ton of them, but- uh, No, that's uh, very helpful. Here's what I recommend is, Find one and what we call as best practices and, and use it. Don't just dabble in it, but pick it and use it over and over and over. Don't, don't say, I'm going to have a marriage seminar and then put it on the shelf and never see it again. Put it into a system where you're revisiting that. And this is one thing I've learned in the church, okay, is that the church wants to have big events, right? Where a lot of people come. And that's what we see as valuable and successful. In family ministry, if you put together over a year, a variety of different events that are systematically organized to help that, when you take that and you start to count the people, maybe 10 people come over here and three people come over here, seven people come over here. You have an event for 50 people show up. But if you look at it as a whole, rather than as individual events, that you're reaching a lot of people. So it doesn't have to be these big events. <laughs> uh, Glenn Gritson uh, has developed the Faith in Life survey. And he talks about there are certain things that people want one-to-one. -one. They just want one person to help them deal with their one issue. And then there's one to some, a small group of people, maybe three or four couples who want to need help in this area. And then one-to-many. where it, And the one-to-many are people come to catch what it is. But the real help happens in one to some or one to one. Mm -hmm. That's really where the real real help uh, is delivered. So the big events are more like, you know, come and see events. And then they move into smaller events where they get the help they need. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, Ethiopia. It sounds like that's a door is open to, and there's a real hunger. Uh, I think what you told me before in Ethiopia for oh yeah. So the EEMCY, the Ethiopia Evangelical Church Makana Jesus, it is a a, a church that has over. 12 million members in its denomination, uh, 34 areas, uh, what they call synods or districts. Uh, and we've been in ministry with them for five, six, well, pandemic, seven years almost now, where we're systematically training trainers to go into each of those districts to reach the pastors and teach the pastors. So train the trainer model. We did that with the uh, Compassion International in Asia. We've done that in Ethiopia. We've done that in India, uh, in, in Indonesia, <laughs> Philippines. Uh, so Concordia Center for the Family is both an international and a national, but we do the same thing. What we found is that even though the cultural context is different, the biblical themes apply all the way. Yeah, yeah, marriage is marriage, you know, parenting is parenting, faith formation is faith formation, you know, the context might be a little different, but the biblical reality is the same. So, so you're teaching these pastors to have a family-friendly vision for their churches? Yeah, family-friendly vision or denominations, that's really where we find once the denominational leaders catch this, that's what gets this on fire. <laughs> yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's close with, uh, Ben, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in more information about uh, your work, uh, you know, the center? Yeah, Concordia Center for the Family is, uh, we have a website, concordiacenterforthefamily.org. Okay. just our whole name.org and you can uh they can reach me there uh they can um my email is add you know all of our contact information is on our website so that would be the best way to to get a hold of me uh we're very passionate uh, about um helping the next generation love jesus that, that's what we're and we find the family is one of God's most important tools to helping the next generation have that love for Jesus uh, that he expects and desires from his people. And so we're all about, uh, not about, we're not just about happy families or happy marriages. We're, we want to see this tool that God's given us be effective in the lives of faith in the next generation. Amen. Well, any final comments you'd want to give to pastors, church leaders, parents about you know your passion for family-friendly churches? Yeah, I'm getting old. Um, I'm reaching my. I'm in my seventy-second year, um, and uh, we need new voices, uh, voices that uh, want to speak out. Uh, about the role of family and faith formation. And I would pray that uh, those voices start to uh, emerge out of the Gen Xers, the millennials, and the next gener the next geners, that 
that these are the, the people that we need to equip to be the voice of family discipleship in the next generation. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ben. Thank you. This has been fun. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it myself very much. God bless. God bless.